I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And today in the show, I am breaking down seven days of epic whitetail hunting during the rut. I'm breaking down the decisions, the outcomes, and everything that happened on this recent rutcation. All right, welcome to the Wire Dunt Podcast brought to you by First Light. We got a different kind of episode for you today because this one's just me. Just me, your host, Mark Kenyon. I am going to break down the hunt that I just finished up last night. Right now, I am on the road driving from Iowa to Nebraska for another hunt. And I don't have anyone with me. I don't have the ability to get a hold of anyone right now. It's just me. And I thought, you know what? I am fresh off this trip. It is in my mind. I've been sitting here in the car kind of running through events in my mind and thinking through what happened, what went right, what went wrong, what can I learn from this, uh, breaking it all down, thinking through my decisions. And, and as I'm kind of doing that, I'm thinking about, geez, I should talk about this stuff. I shouldn't just think this to myself. Maybe I should just share this with everybody out there, the good and the bad and the ugly. So that's what I'm going to do. And this could be ugly. I don't know. Uh, A glimpse into my mind unfiltered with nobody here to check me, nobody here to call me out, nobody here to tell me I'm crazy. Uh, I don't know. You might not like what you hear, but that's, I might not like what you hear. That's what I want to try to do, give you the real raw scoop um, from beginning to end. So I just finished up, like I said, a seven-day hunt in Iowa from November 1 through November 7, and we were filming this for a new show coming out on the Mediator YouTube channel here in just a couple weeks. It's called One Week in November, and we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast leading up to this point, but if you missed those earlier episodes, this show is going to follow me. Tony Peterson, Spencer Newharth, and Clay Newcomb as we each hunt those seven days, but we're each in different places. So I was in Iowa, Clay was in Arkansas and Oklahoma, Spencer was in Montana and Wyoming, and Tony was in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So we're each experiencing the rut, but in wildly different ways. 
So that's what we were doing. Uh, I want to start from the very beginning of how this hunt all came together for me and, and really try to give you the nitty gritty detail more than maybe I've ever done as far as all the steps that go into this. I want to break down each location that I hunted. I want to break down how I decided to go there, why I decided to go there, how I picked the tree, what happened, what I learned from it, um, my emotional state, my mental state, all that. That's the level of detail I'm going to try to get to today. Uh, and hopefully that'll, that'll be helpful to some of you. So let's see. This story begins, I suppose, with getting access to the places that I hunted during this trip. Uh, it began back in the spring of 2021 when I decided, okay, this is the year. I'm going to draw Iowa. I'm going to do this hunt for one week in November. Uh, so where am I going to hunt? That's what I got to figure out. Now, I had hunted Iowa back in 2015. So six years ago was the last time I hunted Iowa. And I had gotten some permission in a couple spots. But there had just been a lot of hunting pressure. And I, like every hunt I was dealing with, people and and it just wasn't a whole lot of fun because of that so I thought you know what? I want to try to get some new spots this year and so I was talking to a couple of local friends of mine that live in Iowa and one buddy had a spot that he actually had picked up a small lease and he said hey man there's gonna be plenty of room for both of us you could hunt here with me a little bit I thought wow that would be great uh, I would love to have like a nice spot where we could do this hunt and and not be kind of bouncing around between people all the time. So that was a great thing. But at the same time, I didn't want to be totally dependent on that uh, just because I don't want to be stepping on my buddy's toes. So I kept looking for stuff, and another friend of mine out there ended up having a farmer who was giving them access to another farm that was kind of in addition to what they usually hunt. So they don't really need this spot. They weren't depending on it. And so my pal said, hey, man, this, is, this would be a good spot for you to hunt too. We probably won't be hardly out there at all. Check it out. So with those two ideas in mind, I headed out there in, I guess, late March, early April, and was able to, uh, was able to get out to do, hopefully, scouting and maybe pick up a late shed. It must have been April because I remember thinking that it was too late to really expect to find a shed. My buddy's property... Did a quick lap of that, and then this other farmer's land. There was actually two parcels that that guy was giving us access to. So I did a quick lap of both. My basic idea with this was just get a lay of the land of everything. I looked at everything on Onyx, and I basically want to just get eyeballs on it physically to try to match up the things that looked good in the map to what actually was there in person. So I didn't pick trees. I didn't prep trees. I wasn't able to do any of that kind of stuff. I was literally there for a day and a half. Uh, just did not have a lot of time to work with. So I was going to try to get the lay of the land was the main goal. I did that, uh, kind of waypointed a bunch of different bedding areas, waypointed some little funnels, picked out a few things that I liked. Um, and that was it. I had to hit the road, had to go home. Fast forward now to late summer. It is August, and I had time now uh, to go back to Iowa for a summer trip. A summer trip, I wanted to put out some trail cameras, I wanted to glass some fields at night, and I wanted to hopefully pick some trees now after I had, you know, had a little time to study the map some more and actually have a few places prepped. Not necessarily prepped physically. I wasn't hanging pre-hung stands or anything like that. This was just to pick some locations that I could go to with my climbing sticks and my saddle and set up to hunt once November came around. So like three days before I'm going to go out there, one of my buddies called and he said, hey, 
you know, this landowner that was going to give us access to these two parcels, for whatever reason, got cold feet, and now he doesn't want us out there. This is three days before I'm supposed to show up and start to scout and prep. So now I'm out two-thirds of what I thought would be my hunting access just before I'm supposed to go out there and do this final work. So that led me to have to get creative and thinking, okay, all I have is the one piece now that it's really my buddy spot. I don't want to be all over it. So I go back and I start thinking about the places that I hunted back in 2015. And one of those spots was a two-parcel property. And this property I actually got permission on by putting together a... I went out there one summer in 2015, and I looked at, you know, gosh, at that point, I don't remember if I was using Onyx or if there was actually just plat maps I was using. It was that long ago. But I figured out all the property owners that had properties in this little zone I was interested in that had the best-looking land got their addresses, and then spent a day going and going to each one of these houses. I went to 14 different homes and knocked on their doors and just asked for permission. And I ended up getting permission on this piece. It's actually two pieces owned by the same family. One of them was this farm that just screamed out like amazing. Imagine uh, lots of timber with these fingered crop fields going in, almost like you're holding maybe three fingers of your hand. So it's the palm of your hand and three fingers and a thumb that extend into a big chunk of timber. And then the same kind of thing coming down. And there's a big creek drainage that runs through the middle of it and crop fields up on top, crop fields in the bottom, and just great, great cover. I mean, this thing looked dynamite and it was big, maybe 500 acres or something like that. Uh, the second parcel was smaller, maybe like 200 acres or 170 acres, something like that. But it was mostly, it was imagine it's a rectangle. It's just a big crop field. But in the middle of it runs several creek drainages, thin, thin. I'm talking, you know, 80 yards wide to 50 yards wide to maybe 100 yards wide at the widest, something like that. Uh, just thin lines several of these thin drainages that, that kind of run through the middle of it, making a couple wide junctions in several places, just a long line across the middle of the rectangle. But, you know, it's 85%, 90% crop field. Did not look, you know, nearly as enticing as the big one. So in 2015, I focused almost all my time on the big one. And there were some good deer there. I had some good hunts, but there was also a lot of other hunters, like I alluded to. There was guys there. Every time I had a hunt, there was someone driving past me in a four-wheeler, or there was someone bumping into me, or there was someone spooking deer. It was just kind of a mess. So this time around, I thought, okay, I wonder if I could get permission to hunt there again, but try the other parcel that just didn't look as good. Maybe other guys thought the same thing. So I get a hold of these landowners again and said, hey, I'm coming back out. Uh, and I've actually stopped by their house a number of times over the years during shed hunting season. Even though I wasn't hunting there, I would just stop by and say hi and chat with them and, you know, keep up. So I asked them if I could come hunt this year. I finally had a tag and I'm back. And they said, sure, we're happy to have you come back out. They've always appreciated me stopping in and chatting and, and all that. And uh, we have a nice relationship. So here's what I was going to do. I, I lost access to those two parcels, but now I have permission again to hunt this old spot. And my new idea was, let's focus on the lesser-looking parcel, because that's probably what everyone is overlooking. All the other hunters that hunt here probably see this one and think, nah, not that great. I'm going to hunt the big, sexy one. 
And actually, maybe these little draws that run through the middle of the fields during the rut, that actually could be pretty decent, pretty predictable movement. There's got to be bucks cruising those draws is what I was thinking to myself this summer. Let's try that, and maybe we can avoid hunting pressure that way. So August 16th or whatever, that's my, my idea. I'm going to go look at my buddy's property real quick, do another walkthrough, and then go and spend most of my time trying to relearn this spot and really learn this spot because I'd hunted the other parcel. I hadn't hunted this overlooked parcel except for one afternoon. I went and sat the edge of it, sat the edge of it, didn't see a thing. So basically I have zero experience on this one. August 16th, 17th rolls around. I go out there, do some glassing, don't really see much. Walk these properties, don't see a whole lot. Um, I put, let's see, we had a handful of cameras on my buddy's property. Then I hung one cell camera and two traditional cameras on the overlooked farm. We'll call that the overlooked farm. We'll call the other one my buddy's farm, just to keep these two things straight. So for the overlooked farm, I got three cameras up. My buddy's farm, I gave him a couple cameras. He had a couple cameras, like three cell cameras. And we had those all situated by the end of that weekend. And I'd gotten to do basically a walkthrough. I relearned the overlooked farm, got a walkthrough, picked out a couple spots that looked pretty good. And that was all I had because I had like a a day and a half again for that trip. That was basically the extent of my scouting going into this November hunt. I had done a few walkthroughs, but was mostly going to be dependent on, you know, figuring it out as I went. That brings us to October 31st, basically November 1st, right? I drive out the night of Halloween and arrive here in Iowa with a week to hunt. I got a cameraman with me and I've got some climbing sticks and I've got my saddle and my bow and that's it. I have some trail camera information because my buddy's property, you know, he's been getting pictures and we had cell cameras that we were both getting pictures to our phones from. So we were keeping tabs on what was happening through that. Uh, the overlooked farm, I had that one cell camera, but within like 15 days of it going, it was dead and wasn't sending me pictures anymore. So I had zero intel on what was going on on the overlooked farm. So arriving in the night of the 31st, looking at the weather, looking at everything that's going on, we had a good cold conditions coming in for the beginning of the week. It's going to be November 1st. I'm thinking they should be cruising. They should be starting to do ruddy stuff. What I decided I want to do was try to get an assessment of what was going on on the overlooked property. Because I had a basic idea of what was happening on my buddies. Because he'd hunted a few times and we had trail cameras out there that were giving us, you know, consistent updates. I had zero idea what was on the overlooked farm, if there was hunters on the overlooked farm, uh, nothing. So I thought, all right, let's start there. And then I will adjust from there if I need to. That brings us to the first morning's hunt. I had found a spot while I was scouting in the summer, while I did my quick speed walk of this property, that really jumped out to me as a great rut set. It, it, it just jumped out as being the kind of spot was a, that was a no-brainer rut location. And it had a tree. I actually remember finding a tree and pinning it, thinking, man, this would be a great tree for a west or northwest wind. Easy to get into, overlooked this location, was set up decent with the cameraman. It was one of the few spots I found like that that was, it was obvious. So I pinned that. I thought to myself, now, hey, that would be a great location. It would get me back and kind of in the back corner of this property for day one, and then I could pull trail cameras on the way out that night. So morning one was going to be like 28, 
Uh, west northwest wind. This is the location I wanted to go to. Now let me describe this location to you. As I as I mentioned, the Overlook property. It's mostly just these draws that run through this rectangular field. So imagine you've got this rectangle. The rectangle is mostly corn, except for these draws. And if I were to paint the picture for you, imagine drawing a line from the bottom left corner of the rectangle up to the top right corner. That's the main line of the creek. And then take two more lines off of that and extend it from that middle line, that diagonal line, make a Y from one of those down to a corner, and then take another one and go down from the corner. So we've got this diagonal line with two draws that drop down from it going down, making a couple Y junctions. That is the farm. The bottom left corner where one of these Y junctions happens is the location that I had picked out as being dynamite. You've got these three lines of a draw coming together, so we've got a three-way junction of timbered draws. In the middle of this, there's this little brushy bottom, kind of a low spot. There's a great big scrape in the middle of it. And just to the left, in one of these draws, in one of these little timbered fingers, is a pond about 60 yards away from this tree. And then, oh, by the way, look at the other timbered draw. So this is the third of these timbered draws that's ahead of me. And it is thick, thick, nasty, best bedding cover I found on this farm opening up to a chunk of timber. So I've got doe bedding in front of me. I've got three pinches all coming down and converging right here in the middle. And I have a pond. That is what this location had. Those are things that scream rut success, right? The rut, as we've talked about over the years, is about the does. So being close to doe bedding, ding, 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 great thing. Pinch points, ding, ding, ding. I've got a pinch. I've got three different pinches all converging in one hub. And then, hey, let's get the added bonus of a great big hub scrape in the middle of it, added bonus of a pond right next to it. And oh, by the way, in the field behind me, created by two of these timbered ridges coming out, is actually CRP. They took this one field out of corn and put it into CRP. So my backside now has great tall grass that I figured does must be bedding in. So I got doe bedding on two sides of me. Pinch points on either side, pond, a scrape, looks great. I get in there day one, got set in the tree. We go in very early. I was trying to get to the property almost two hours before daylight because it takes a long time to get camera gear together and get your, all your stuff. Takes It was a 20-plus minute walk-in to get to the tree, and then we have to set up climbing sticks, my platform and saddle, my cameraman's platform and saddle, all of our gear. So we were, you know up bright and early, at it bright and early, getting in there. We get climbed up in the tree. We get settled. It took a while. Daylight breaks, and it is November 1st, first shooting light, Iowa. Everything you dream of, everything you hope for, this is it, right? This is the pinnacle of whitetail hunting, and I'm thinking this is going to be a heck of a week. And not, shoot, I don't know. Well, actually, at first light, I forgot about this, at first light, I look out and I see a bedded deer like 70 yards away. There's a buck bedded 70 yards away, laying down, facing away from us. It's a little year and a half old, but that was a great sign, I thought. Then, probably 10 minutes after light, I see some movement in the CRP behind us. Here comes a doe and a buck. And right away, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that might be a shooter buck. I mean, this is a nice framed deer, and he's coming my way. And I'm thinking, oh no, 
it's day one. I've hunted for 10 minutes in Iowa, and here's this buck coming. And I start looking at him, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. He's what looks like an eight. Eventually, I realize he's a nine-pointer. Maybe like two his ears, maybe just outside of his ears, and maybe like eight-inch tine length, that kind of thing. Just like a nice, boxy eight-pointer nice like like a nice buck a buck in michigan that would be one of the better bucks around in most places i hunt in michigan but here in iowa where you know the sky's the limit where you've waited years and years to draw a tag i've applied in the lottery for three years to get enough points to get this tag it's been six years since i've been back when you go to iowa there's a certain set of standards or hopes or expectations that you have and this buck's coming in and i'm thinking gosh do i want to end my iowa rut hunt 10 minutes in on this buck he's probably 125 ish three-year-old probably he keeps coming in and i'm like ah i mean i had this back and forth back and forth like i I can't shoot that buck now i can't shoot that kind of deer here in the first hunt in iowa even though it'd be a pretty darn great buck back at home uh I can't shoot that buck on the first morning. He ends up coming into 30 yards, stands broadside, looking around, makes a scrape, and I sit there and say, you know what, not doing it. Can't shoot this buck right now. Pass. Great encounter, though. Got me very excited. I was fired up. Sitting there a while longer, a little buck cruises through. Another little buck comes through. Then I look to my left, and stepping out of that pond, big, tall tines. I'm like, holy crap. Big buck, big buck. Here comes a deer, but as he gets up over the hill coming out of the pond, I again had the same feeling. Ah, uh, he's kind of tight. He's kind of tall, but he was another one of those in-betweener bucks. He was bigger than the last one, I thought, but again, not a really big body. And at first, my cameraman is like, he's 150. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is he 150? In my head, he wasn't that big. And I think he was just ex- overexcited. As I'm looking at him, like, maybe he's like, 130s, uh, tight and tall, like eight pointer, nice brow tines. But again, we're only a half hour into the day of the first day and he's coming out and I'm like, oh, should I do this? Should I shoot this buck? We've only just started. It seems like it's absolutely popping. I know there's got to be big mature bucks around here. This deer, I don't think so. I think he's probably a three and a half year old. He comes walking by like 41 yards, something like that and I just let him walk. I don't even try to get him closer. He gets out to 90 yards, and I'm back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, should I try to get another look at him? I'm like, ah, let's grunt him in, have him come in closer. Let me look at him again. I give him a little grunt. He turns and looks, kind of starts walking back my way. Never quite comes in the range, but as he's coming by, I'm like, no, 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 I, I'm not going to shoot that buck on day one. I got to give this time to ride out. I got I to gotta enjoy the ride, right? You wait all this time to hunt Iowa. You got to enjoy it. You got to see it. You don't want to stop it right away. So I'd pass that buck. The rest of the day come, you know, carries on. I was very like hyped up, so pumped. It's everything I dreamed of. Saw two like really nice bucks. I would have shot in a lot of places already. Um, this is going to be the week of all weeks. The day moves on. A few more bucks cruise through. It's looking good. I decide that I'm going to change my plans. My original plan was to hunt that morning, see what was going on. And then at midday, I was going to bail out pull trail cameras and scout my way out of the property so that now I'd have a morning hunt and trail camera intel and a midday scout to assess what's happening on the overlooked farm. 
And then I would go hunt my buddy's farm in the evening to do the same thing, to scout my way in, to get set up, and to pull another camera and to learn what's going on. But after all that hot and heavy action that morning, and I forgot to mention, I also saw one more buck just for a couple seconds running on a neighboring field that looked like a big frame. So maybe a third good buck. So all that action made me think, man, it's on in here. You don't leave fish to find fish, as they say. So I decided I need to stick it out here all day and see what happens the rest of this you know, afternoon. So I ended up sitting through midday, sat the entire day there, and we saw a few more young bucks, but no other shooters came out that day. But we, you know, we felt good about it. We put in the time, had good opportunities, just not quite what I was waiting for. Um, so I thought, you know what? Great day one. On the way out, I pulled a couple cameras. One of them had not taken pictures since September 10th. That was disappointing. The other one, though, had taken pictures all the way up until that point. So that night, I checked the cameras, and what the cameras showed me was kind of disappointing. What that, and it's only one camera, so you can only take so much from it, but it basically showed me that there was only one mature buck that was hitting that camera. There was a bunch of young bucks. There was the bucks that I passed on um, and a number of others, but there was only one deer that was definitely four or older. He was a stud. He was definitely a four-plus-year-old buck. Uh, big like mainframe 10 with a inside tying on one of them so technically he had 11 points uh i mean a slammer but he was the only one and that was a little disappointing because this is iowa right yeah you kind of go into this at least as an out-of-stater you go into iowa thinking man they're behind every corner there should be big bucks or at least mature bucks all over the place this property seemed to only have one or at least hitting that camera so i thought all right I'm going to go back in and hunt that same spot in the morning because this just seems like such a screaming rut spot and the activity was pretty darn good yesterday. Let's go back and sit it in the morning. So I go back the next day. We get in there well ahead of daylight. We get back into that same location. We left everything up in the tree and we sit it out and pretty close to first light, here comes that same nice tight and tall like 130 something buck comes in and this time he comes into 10 yards and i'm like oh man it's only day two he's really nice but i even grabbed the bow this time and i'm holding like don't come closer don't come closer if he gives me just a screaming shot i wonder if i should shoot it like is this stupid not to shoot this deer not only because you know he's a nice buck in most places um i'm also filming this show and there's definitely a certain set of pressures that come with that that you know, just being honest with you guys, like that is something that's on my mind and it's something that I think about and concerned about. And gosh, I want to make sure that, you know, we have something that people want to watch. So should I be shooting this deer? Uh, but I decide, no, if I have to question it, if I'm not a hundred percent certain on it, if I'm not dead set, this is the buck I want. I'm not going to do it. I'm not just going to shoot a buck because you got to kill something. Um, I want to enjoy this trip. I want to see what it has to offer. I want to see what's going to happen. So far, so good. So there's got to be better stuff ahead, right? So I don't even try to shoot that deer that time. And the day carries on. And that's basically all we see that morning. Slows way down. And we get to around noon-ish. And I remember sitting there and thinking through all this and thinking, man, between what I've seen here now, we've sat you know, for a morning and evening and now another morning. And we checked those trail cameras. And I'd yet to see a buck that 
you know, I think is definitely mature. Meanwhile, on my buddy's property, we've been getting camera pictures of a number of bucks that are at least four years old. I think there's at least like, I don't know, four, five, maybe like that, that have been rolling through on a decently consistent basis. And I'm just sitting here thinking, man, there's all these bucks on this other property. Am I wasting my time here? Midday, I decide, you know what? All right. I did my assessment of the overlooked farm. It's time to go assess my buddy's farm. So at midday, we pulled on everything and we drive to this other farm and we decided we're going to go in and get set up in this spot. Now, this farm, my buddy's farm, is, how would I describe this? Let's imagine you were to have two big valleys. One of these big valleys runs east to west. Imagine it's a big line of timber with a creek at the bottom of it running east to west. So very low at the bottom with steep ridges that rise up to the top on either side. On either side to the north and south of this big line are crop fields, corn fields on the top. You then have another valley that comes in running north and south in the bottom. So you're effectively creating a T. There's a big T. My buddy's property has part of that T. Imagine you're looking at the T. He has the center line and the top line, and then it runs off to the right. To the left side of that T is the neighbors. To the right side of the T is the property I can hunt. And then there's a couple little fingers that drop down off the top of the T that we can also hunt. But the main, the main meat and potatoes of this farm is that center post of the T and then the top right line of the T. Timber draw, big ridges, and the creek bottom. So that's what this property has to offer. And there were a couple camera locations that have been getting bucks on them over the past couple weeks. And one of them in particular had been like red hot. We were getting several mature bucks almost daily rolling through this spot. And I knew in my head that, man, this spot has been on fire. And looking at the maps, I think there's a reason why that is. I think that there's this terrain feature. This spot is at the junction of the T. So if you were to envision this T again, the left side of the T and the left, uh, how am I describing this? So if, if you're looking at the T and if you were to look at the top left side, that valley, like I mentioned, was on the neighbors, but we have the junction point. So basically it's like an upside down L. And at that junction point, there's a field in the back to the left and then there's the timbered ridge that I'm on and the top valley all coming together here. So I thought, all right, let's slip into this spot near where that camera is. Let's scout it out, see exactly like what it looks like on the ground and why these bucks are cruising through here. But my idea was that these deer must be cruising this ridge looking for does. There must be doe bedding along the tops of these ridges. And these bucks are cruising the ridge. And then at this corner, right, there's this field that pinches into the ridge right at the junction of the two posts of the T, of the, of the timber. And there's a knob off of that. And I thought to myself, maybe there's some kind of feature here. I knew it was cliffy. I knew that these valleys were very steep and that there's only a couple places where deer can go up and down them. In my quick speed scout in the spring and summer, I had noticed that, but I hadn't actually climbed up into this corner. So November 2nd, midday, I slip into there, scout my way in and find what I think is why these deer are passing through there. As I mentioned, basically this whole timbered ridge side is, is cliffed out. 
like I'm talking 50, 80 foot tall rock cliffs that deer just can't even get up and down. And there's just a couple places where it softens up and there's gaps that lead down to the bottom. So I go around this ridge and I try to find a spot where I can see the east-west valley while also being able to cover the north-south ridge that I'm sitting on. And I find an old logging road that cuts the corner of this ridge and goes above the cliff and creates basically the one easy access gap along this knob as it turns to head east and west. And what it looks like to me is that, okay, any deer that was running east to west that wants to go north-south has to go around this knob because they're not going to go down the cliff and they're not going to want to go into the field. They're going to take the one opportunity, the one decent, easy access to get around this corner. So I'm thinking, man, this is a great pinch. And I saw there was some thick, brushy stuff. There must be some does bedding right here and probably on the neighbors over there, it looks good too. Take all that, add to the fact that we had trail camera pictures of bucks coming through here on a relatively consistent basis. Looked good to me. I got set up in the tree that night sat down, waited it out, and nothing. I think I saw a little dink and a couple does, and it was going pretty slow and pretty disappointing until last light, the hunt's done, me and the cameraman start packing up, and I look out at the horizon, and you can see the field edge. You know, we were probably 100, some, I don't know, 100 yards in from the field edge maybe, but you could see up there above us the kind of skyline. And I see antlers come running down off of the field edge into the timber towards me. And I pull up my binoculars, and then I'm, you know, it's dark in the timber. I can hear grunting, and then I hear crashing, and then I hear grunting and crashing. And long story short, a doe comes walking right underneath us. And then in my binoculars, it's too dark to see it with my eyes, but with my binoculars, I see a big buck come walking right towards us. This buck walks to 10 yards and hangs out around the tree for probably 10 minutes just looking at the doe, looking around, nibbling, making a scrape, just doing buck stuff. He's probably like a 150-inch type 10-pointer, just a stud, hangs out there and eventually walks off. But great encounter. I mean, even though it was after dark and I couldn't shoot him, it was encouraging that there's a big buck in here. He came right within range. If it had been daylight, it could have shot him. Super encouraging, very excited. And then I look at my phone, and then I see that my buddy Josh Furter Hilliard killed a buck that night on the same property. He also was given access to the same spot, and he had killed a buck across the road into another section. It's, it's just an open-cut cornfield next to a, a really good neighboring property. I'll save this story for another day. But lo and behold, he shot a buck that night. We were very excited about that. So I saw this buck after dark. He shot this buck nearby. We are on cloud nine, day two of the rut, looking good. Hasn't come together for me yet, but it seems like, you know, things are where you want to be. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. So that said, with what I'd seen that day, I decided, okay, we have this kind of rut location that has terrain features working for us. And in a lot of this trip, I was, I was trying to... I was trying to balance two things. There's one side of you that wants to learn about new places, see new spots, find the action, find the sign. And then there's another part of you, another part of hunting the rut, which is find something that works. Find a feature, find a pinch point, find a doe bedding area that works, and then ride it out. you got to give it time. Because if it's a thing that will work and right doe bedding areas and funnels or pinch points, those are things that do work during the rut. If you give it time, eventually a buck's going to roll through. If you judge it just based on one sit, you know, you might have randomly not been there the right day because there's a lot of things going on in the rut. The rut is very much a here but not there type of deal or today but not tomorrow. If any of you have spent time in the woods during November, you know that's the case. There will be days where it's dead, but 500 yards away, it might be absolutely on fire. And then there might be a spot that seems horrible today, but tomorrow it could be the best place to be. So there's this constant tension between do I need to move or do I just need to wait it out and give this place more time? I think sometimes during the rut, there's, there's the temptation to move around too much because you're trying to find the hot spot and you never give a spot enough time to actually produce. So that was what I was thinking in my head that night. Even though I'd had a slow sit up until after dark, I thought, you know what? This definitely deserves another sit and maybe all day. Like this has got the pinch it's got the doe bedding area there's a terrain feature that's going to bring any buck that cruises through here within 20 yards i need to give this time so i get out there the next morning sit it out and i'm trying to think this through i'm pretty sure that morning i saw a couple does i think was it i mean it was very slow so i was kind of disappointed well not kind of i was very disappointed i thought for sure that was going to be 
you know, that was going to be a good, promising day. Uh, but so it goes. Midday arrives, and one of my friends sends me a text message, and he says, hey, you know, they are picking all the corn on the rest of the property. Corn's coming down. And in my head, the first thing I think is, man, fresh-cut corn is a dough magnet. Uh, those first couple days after a field is combined, there's so much waste grain available on the ground that deer seem to just flock to it. It seems to, at least in my experience, it's, it's an instant draw. It is the top draw. It becomes like the number one food source overnight. With that in mind, I'm thinking, man, fresh cut corn on the ground, that's where all the does are going to want to be. And if that's where all the does want to be in the evening, that's where the bucks are going to be. I got to get over there. So midday, I decide to bail out of this spot and go back to my truck, get my decoy, drive around to the other side of this property and find a way to access what was, I thought, probably the best area where this fresh cut corn was to take advantage of this situation I was hoping would be the case. Now, I described to you earlier how this T that this property kind of looks like, this timbered T with fields on the, you know, the outside of the T had a couple little finger ridges sticking out of it. Well, one of these little finger ridges that dropped off of the top east-west post of the T um, created a little cove. Like, just imagine like a little half-circle cove of corn that pokes into that timber, pokes into all this stuff. Well, up there, there's, from my one walkthrough, I remember seeing like there's some good prairie grass, there was some good brushy, nasty, kind of like multiflora rosy type stuff up on here and in the neighbors. So good, good bedding. And then this little cove of what is now freshly cut corn poking into that. As I'm thinking about, man, where would be the spot that does would feel comfortable coming on feeding in daylight and where bucks would kind of funnel out into there to check does, this spot kind of was the, um, one of the obvious options that I thought would work well. So me and the cameraman, we decided, all right, we're going to go in there. We're going to set the decoy up on the edge and there will be a bunch of does that come out here tonight and there'll be bucks bucks will come out looking for the does they'll see this decoy and maybe one will pull down to us we slip down in there and it is kind of a debacle as far as access i i had forgotten how hard to get through this um back side of the property was it was actually thicker and brushier than i realized i i should have just come in from the cornfield but i remember thinking to myself all right if i come in from the cornfield I will have to walk out the cornfield. And I don't want to walk out the cornfield um, and have a bunch of deer out there that I have to spook to get out. I'd, I'd much rather walk out the backside. But if I didn't have my truck on the backside, I would have like a two and a half mile walk to get all the way back to my truck where it was originally parked. But if I came from the backside, parked over there, and then walked in this back hill, I could kind of do a backdoor entry, and then I would have an exit route after the hunt where I would hopefully not spook all the deer in the cornfield that was the thought process going into this well it ended up being much more difficult to get in and as i'm doing i'm thinking geez this looks way better than i thought there's probably deer bedded in here i've probably educated some deer as i'm slipping in so i was kind of pissed as i was just getting in with myself we got set up got the decoy out and it ended up either because of my access or because of whatever was going on another very very dead sit uh we saw a couple does and a forky and that was it and i'm thinking man what is going on like what kind of situation in iowa where you've got a fresh cut cornfield and and that's it 
And we walked, like I said, we walked through a decent bit, but there was this whole other 80% of the cover was untouched that I wasn't inside of that, that should have had deer in it. That should have been piling out to this cornfield. Super slow. Couldn't understand it. So we now had had like a very dead day. I mean, all day we'd seen just a few does and a forky. Uh, and the whole yesterday, the whole day before that, other than like that one, like maybe buck in the morning and then seeing the buck after dark, the whole rest of the day, like most of the sitting hours had been very dead. No cruising, no chasing, no nothing. So two days of that, and I'm wondering what is going on? Like this is way slower than it should be on November 2nd and November 3rd in Iowa with good cold conditions. I mean, we're talking, these are like 25 degree mornings, 40 degree afternoons, the kind of conditions you're really hoping for. So now it's day three and we're almost halfway through my week and it's looking a little glum. I remember feeling like, yeah, I'm getting a little nervous. So day four though, I'm back to this debate. Do I keep on bouncing around trying to find something fresh or do I trust my terrain feature, trust my rut pillars and ride it out and let one of these spots produce. I ended up erring in that way. I ended up saying, you know what, this ridge bedding slash kind of pinch around this cliffy area, it's got to produce. Like there have to be cruising bucks. They have to come through here. It's going to work. Now I did notice the first day I hunted there that there were a number of, there was like two, two bucks, I guess, two young bucks that had skirted the edge of us. There ends up being a little draw, a little like, I don't know if it's like a, like a ditch kind of in that ridge that does dip through the cliff and these bucks came straight up that. So I actually moved our spot 60 yards, maybe less than, maybe 50 yards so that we would be able to shoot the cliff pinch that I described to you already right at the corner, but then also this little chute that came up. So now I can cover the two places that I think deer have to come through while also still being range of where that camera was getting us deer, not shooting range, but visible range, and with doe bedding up on these tops. I get into that morning and I say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to let this thing marinate. We're going to let this spot have the time to produce because a buck has to cruise through here. And there's good mature bucks in the area. Something's going to cruise through. We just need to be here and give it time. So this is day four. And I'm in this spot very early, settled in. We're believing in the spot. We sit there all morning, nothing. Like a couple does and a year and a half old buck. We sit there all midday, nothing. Nothing cruised. We sit there all evening, nothing. No shooters, no three-year-olds, no two-year-olds. I mean, it is dead. I'm talking with some of my buddies, and everyone's saying, man, it is dead as a doorknob. No one's seeing bucks. It's November 4th. It's cold. It's great. This is what we had been hoping for, and no one's seeing anything. Um, what's going on was what I was thinking in my head. Like, what is going on? What's happening? You know, these are spots that should be producing. Uh, so now we're more than halfway through the week, and very quickly I went from being super stoked on morning one to now after day four being... Uh, kind of panicked, like what's what's going to happen? You know, uh, this is not going the way I'd hoped it would. So now I am reconsidering what I think about the buddy property because while it did have more bucks on camera leading into the hunt, 
Uh, nothing's been on camera recently. I'd sat several really good-looking spots and put in serious hours. I've hunted four all-day sits, um, and I've yet to you know, get eyes on one during daylight. Down to my last three days, less than half the trips left, I decided, you know what? The set from the very first morning on the overlooked farm, you know what, is looking a little better. Because, yeah, those two bucks on day one weren't what I want on day one, but on day five, the way things are looking, as slow as all this is, maybe I should just go back there and try to kill one of them, right? They were moving through there. There seems to be a number of bucks like that around. Um, yeah, there's only the one big shooter, but maybe at this point I can't be so picky. I've tried to ride this thing out. I've tried to see what Iowa has to offer, and it kind of looks like we're in a lockdown type situation, even though it's early. Um, I'm seeing that kind of thing. Like all my buddies are experiencing that kind of thing. Like nothing's moving around, nothing's chasing. Maybe these bucks are on does. So my idea is, okay, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to sit the ultimate hub pinch point bedding area zone again. And we're going to ride that thing out and something has got to come through there. So day five, I head in and that's the game plan. I... Slip in there early, we get up in the set, we're settled in, we're feeling good, nice cold morning, and nothing. We're not seeing cruising bucks, we're not seeing chasing bucks. I've got three little pinch points all converging in a hub in the middle. I've got a mega scrape, I've got a pond, and I've got a CRP field at my backside and a dynamite bedding area in front of me and my wind's blowing off a cross-section, not into any of that good stuff, and nothing is coming through. And I will definitely admit to a lot of frustration. Um, you wait all year, you wait six years in this case, to come hunt Iowa in the rut, and it's, it's a dud. I mean, it is absolutely worse than hunting in Michigan, to this point is what I was telling myself. Um, and then I'm also thinking, man, am I going to get a buck killed? And already some of the other guys in the crew had been killing bucks. And I'm thinking, gosh, am I going to be the only one that doesn't kill one? Um, like those kinds of thoughts were slipping in the back of my mind. And, uh, you know, definitely was stressing out and wasn't, um, I hate to say it, but I wasn't enjoying it. I, I was just letting the pressure of it get to me. You know, we've, we'd done five, well, four and a half days of hunting so far. Is that right? Yeah. That whole morning, I guess, was just uneventful. So midday, I'm wrestling with all this, thinking about all this, and trying to think, of, okay, what have I done? What, how, have I, how have I made these decisions? What am I doing wrong? And... I'm thinking to myself, okay, I tried to trust the ridge pinch. I gave that time. Didn't pan out. I had now come back to the ultimate hub location. I hunted that, that first morning and night, the second morning. Now I come back and hunted the second morning. That's two full days worth of sitting in this hub location. Hadn't had a single mature buck roll through. Couldn't even get one of those nice three and a halfs to roll back through. So I'd originally planned on sitting there all day. But now at like noon or one, I get this idea that, you know what, you got to go find it. Like it, it's not happening here. You need to go try to find something different. There's, there's something happening somewhere. Go find it. 
So I decide to pull up stakes, slip out of there that night, and go scout some stuff on this farm that I hadn't been to yet and see if I could find something worth setting up on, see if I could get lucky and spot a buck locked on a doe somewhere, see if I could bump something, see if I could make something happen. So we slipped out at like one or two, and they'd been starting to combine the field. This is a cornfield, and there was a set of timbered fingers running along the top edge of this property. So I, I told you how, now bear with me here as I try to describe this farm again. Remember, this is the rectangle that's all field except for the diagonal line from bottom left corner to the top right corner, and then a couple spurs off of that, right? Well, there's also a finger that kind of runs right along the top of the rectangle, and that's coming off of a neighbor's, but some of it's on our, our side. So I thought, you know what, why don't I go up there? I've never been up there. Let's go check that out. Maybe that's where it's going on. And we'll still hunt and slip our way through there and, and try to learn something. So I do that. I get out. I walk up there. I'm kind of still hunting my way through there, scouting. And I'm just not finding much sign. Yeah, it was like a scrape. I think I saw a little tiny rub. There's some tracks. It wasn't as thick and nasty in there as I was hoping it might be. Um, I basically walked the upwind edge of that whole thing, just slowly going through, stopping, glassing, stopping, glassing, walking, and made it across the entire finger with, with nothing that screamed to me like you absolutely need to be here. So I follow it all the way down, almost to the far east side of this rectangle now. So we're almost down to the far right-hand side of the rectangle where that main draw extends up to the top right corner of our rectangle. Now up where that top right corner of the draw reaches that corner, there is a pond and there's also one of those spur draws that comes into it, creating a Y. This is a very tight Y, though. This isn't like a big, wide one. This is like a 50-yard wide brushy strip connecting in with another 50-yard wide brushy strip. And then you've got this pond in the inside corner of that, and then a finger of the corn extending down into there. This is the location where I put a camera, and I had pulled that camera earlier in the week when I pulled cameras that first day. And this spot, I placed it in this gap between the pond and the timbered ridges, this little brushy ridge, not even a ridge, like a draw. Um, because again, this spot screamed to me like little tiny out of the way convergence of pinch points. You've got three little draws, timbered lines, all coming together with a pond. And then there was actually CRP on a little side here too. So this was another one of those spots I'd circled as a potential location. When I checked the camera, there was a decent amount, not tons, but there's a decent number of bucks coming through this little gap, including the one shooter buck. Now, he was coming through there a decent number of times, one daylight picture. I can't remember the date of it. It was in the late 20s, but there was one daylight picture at last light he'd passed through here. So I'm thinking, all right, this is total opposite side of the farm. I haven't hunted, so it's been untouched. There might be something going on down here. It hasn't been going on up in the bottom left corner, but now we're in the upper right corner. Maybe this is where it's at. And I've got another one of these three-way hubs. It's a tighter one. It's a smaller one. But this could work. Uh, now, remember, I'm slipping in here by foot. I'd left my gear, our sticks and saddles and stuff, up in the tree at the original location. So we've got a southerly wind. It's starting to get warmer now, by the way. The weather has turned starting to get warmer. We're getting down to the final couple days of the hunt. And I decided, you know what? We're going to just make a natural ground blind type situation work here. I got up on a dike. The pond, on one side of the pond, there's a, there's a dike, like a tall, 
uh, ridge, I'm, I'm blanking on the right word here that would describe this, um, but imagine like a tall hillside and then it drops down like maybe 15 yards down to the bottom where these two draws come together, where the little finger of corn comes together and where this gap is between the dike and between the draw where the camera was, was getting pictures of these bucks. So I just tuck into this tall grass right there and my cameraman slips in underneath me and we lay down and we start kind of mapping out all the different things that might happen and how we'll react. Okay, so if a buck comes from the northwest corner, he's going to be kind of angling towards us. So we're going to have to stay laying down in the grass all the way till he gets past us. And then right when he angles past us and turns, I'm going to slowly rise up, draw and get a shot. If he comes from the left side, you know, we'll be able to get in position better because we'll have a little ridge, a little hillside in the way and taller grass so I can actually get on my knees and draw back before he steps out into the open. So I basically like mapped out all these different things like this and practiced it. Practiced drawing back, practiced what the cameraman should do, practiced what I should do. Um, and, and it just really sets up nice. I forgot to mention, like because we're on the edge of this pond, we're able to have our wind blow across the pond. So we're almost completely safe from a wind perspective with this really nice pinch point convergence of hubs in front of me. And the water oil, by the way, which could be a draw to deer. And then finally, about 100 yards away, above us, is where there's this, uh, another cut cornfield on the neighbors. So if there are deer bedded in these brushy draws, they're going to head that way and probably funnel past us. So again, pillars of rut hunting, right? This whole week I've been trying to make sure everything I do revolves around one of these pillars. Am I close to doe bedding or doe food? In this case, there's this cut cornfield past me and there's these really thick really nice looking brushy draws that just has to be deer in and second pillar of rut hunting funnels any kind of feature that will concentrate deer movement in a tight area well i've got two of those coming together so i've got two tight pinches that come together right next to me and i'm set up in this location with water which is a nice bonus this has got to be it there's going to be something to roll through here. There's got to be something rolling through here. This is going to be it. It's what me and my cameraman Chase kept saying. We sit there. We sit there. We sit there. Then we start hearing a combine getting closer and closer. It's getting closer prime time. The combine's getting closer, closer, and closer. We're down to the last 20 minutes. The combine comes over the hill, comes down, starts combining right next to us. Now... Uh, if, if you guys hunt, you know, farm country, you know, as I described that when the combines are in the field, when they're picking the corn, you know, that fresh cut corn can be a drop I and mean, can be a drive, right? Deer are going to want to feed in that fresh combine corn. But from my experience, they're not going to want to be like right next to the combine. Like if the combine's doing the edge row, like they're not going to be standing on the edge. I know there's exceptions. There's all sorts of farmers out there will say, well, I'm in combine and these deer stand right next to me. I know that happens sometimes, but I also know that they usually aren't going to be right there. Like, I don't want to have a combine 40 yards away from me and expect a buck to come out at 30 yards and let that happen. Well, that's basically what's happening to us at the end of this night. We've got the combine working the field right next to us, and a little forky comes through, and that's it. Another one of these picture-perfect rut locations, and nothing's rolling through at all. And that's the end of day five. Down to two days left. I have yet to see a mature buck during daylight. I've hunted what I think are really good locations. And I've, I've tried to balance 
the need to go find stuff with the balance to give a location time is, is at least the debate I kept having. And, and really the, the story of this trip is trying to walk those two, walk that balancing act between the two. That's the end of day five. And I'm definitely disappointed now. Definitely concerned about what's happening, but got to keep going. I mean, that was my mantra all week was you got to keep on grinding. You got to keep going. And these are the things we've talked about. I mean, a thousand times on this show, right? Uh, this is a story you've heard some version of before from me, right? How many times have I hunted during the rut and been concerned about how things are going? How many times has this happened to you where you've been hunting during the rut and it's been super slow and you're just thinking, man, this isn't going to happen. Why is everybody else killing deer and I'm not? And then like in a snap, all of a sudden, bam, there's the buck. There's your shot. It's all changed. You just had the season of your life or the day of the year or whatever. I mean, the rut can change things so, so, so quickly. So this entire time, I'm just trying to remind myself, it can all change in a second. It can all change in a second. It can all change in a second. Just keep going. Just keep going. So that's what I did. Day six rolls around, and I'm debating what I want to do. I decide, you know what? The ultimate hub needs one more try. I'm going to double down on the ultimate hub, and I, I just believe that that spot just seemed so good. It just seemed so good. And at this point, I lowered my standards. I'd be shooting any decent, like, three-and-a-half-row buck. Something had to roll through there. And the way we'd been operating with the wind, I just thought we can get away with hunting this thing. You know, this would be the – we'd hunted it three mornings and an evening. And I thought one more morning. That's a lot to ride in one spot, but I also thought it could, it could do it. it. It just had to do it. So we go in there morning of number six high hopes. I'd actually gotten, I had a camera, I put a camera, I forgot to mention this, on day one, after that evening hunt, I went and put a cell camera on that hub scrape. And that hub scrape camera had actually got a picture of two like nice three-year-olds. One is the one I passed, that tight, tall one. And one was another tight, tall one that I didn't recognize uh, that had come by that in daylight while I was gone. So I'm thinking, all right, they've been coming through. And I'm sure if, if these bucks were on the hub scrape, I'm sure there's other bucks that have been around it that didn't make it on camera. It's going to produce. I go back in there. This is day six, morning six. It's a Saturday now. The weekend has arrived. And we slip in there really good and early. We've got like 45 minutes sitting in the tree before dark, perfectly still, making sure nothing's you know, being spooked on our way in. Um, you know, We've been grinding. And um, I'm tired, but I'm trying to stay positive, trying to believe, all right, it's going to happen today. And the light comes up. We see two does underneath the tree stand first thing. I'm thinking, okay, live, like live bait right there. That's what the bucks want. They want those does. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then I hear crack, 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 crack. And me and Chase, my cameraman, look at each other like, is that deer fighting? Crack, 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 crack. And then I get this little whisper in my head like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds... That sounds like me when I'm rattling a rattling bag. And we look at each other like, man, I sure hope that's not a hunter. Well, it stops. We keep sitting there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 20 minutes later, crack, 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 crack. And instantly when I heard it the second time within 20 minutes in the same location, I knew, damn it, there's another hunter. And he's like 100 yards away, 150 yards away, something like that on the other side of the property line on the neighbors, and he's in that big, 
brushy doe bedding area that I'm just downwind of, that I'm like counting on the reason that bucks are going to be coming in and out of this hub. That's the draw. He's right smack dab in the middle of that, cracking his rattling bag together every 20 minutes. So there it is. My ultimate hub, the spot that I dreaming of having a big buck rolling out of that had to produce. Well, now I know there's another guy sitting in the middle of it, blowing his wind through it, crashing antlers together every 20 minutes. Uh, you know, it's shot. Now I know, like, we kept, I kept telling myself, well, he could come from these other different directions. There's these other legs of the draw that come into my hub. But I, I absolutely was disheartened by that and disappointed and, um, you know, kind of lost my confidence in, my, in that spot after this. So that was the morning of number six. And, you know, at this point, it's, it's the end. I mean, I'm desperate. Absolutely was feeling feelings of desperation. Um, I decided, okay, it's time, to, it's time to lose any inhibitions. It's time to go ball to the wall. It's time to do whatever it takes to get something killed. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. There was two ideas I have. There was one location on my buddy's farm that I knew had deer and good deer and opportunities, and I had purposely chose not to hunt it despite that. 
this, I, I mentioned that my buddy Josh had killed a buck earlier in the week. Well, this is where he killed his buck. This is a cornfield. This, this part of property is nothing but a cornfield. There's zero trees on it. There's zero grassy anything. I mean, it's just the cornfield. And then on the neighbor's property is, is basically land that's not allowed to be hunted. They don't let people hunt there. It kind of acts as a sanctuary. And over the years, historically, like just driving around the area, like you see a lot of good deer in there. We, we just know that there are good deer in, the, deer in that zone. They know they're not hunted in there, and they, they stay in there. But with this cut cornfield, the belief was that these deer would be coming off of that little sanctuary area and feeding in the cornfield that we could hunt. So when the corn was cut earlier, I guess it was late October, one of my buddy's buddies brought in a box blind, brought in on a trailer, put it down here. And we had this idea that, you know, you could, you could pull a deer in off of that field. Something would come in the field. And if you were sitting in that box blind with a decoy, you might be able to get a buck to come in there. And that's what Josh ended up having happen to him earlier in the week. I had told him leading up to like, I don't want to hunt the box blind. Like, I, I just want to do it on my own. I want to hang my own stuff. I want to go saddle hunt. I want to find him somewhere else. Um, I just, like, that wasn't what I was dreaming of when it came to this hunt. It wasn't a box blind that someone else had pulled in there and killed him that kind of way. That's how I was feeling day one. So I was like, yeah, have at it. Josh killed a great buck, awesome hunt. Really excited about it for him. It was amazing. We'll tell that full story another day. Great, great hunt. But still in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm not going there. Especially now, like, it's been pressured. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Um, but now it's day six. Still haven't killed anything. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I just want to kill something. Like, I just want to kill something. And nothing's moving anywhere. Haven't seen a mature buck in daylight once this entire week in Iowa. Uh, I know there's mature bucks in there moving around. We'd actually drove by, well, it was that day, I guess. That day. So I, I bail out of the ultimate hub. And we decide we're going to go do something different. And as we're driving by this property that's not allowed to be hunted, we see a big buck locked on a doe in there. And my buddies who'd been in the area had been driving around earlier in the day, and they'd seen a different big buck locked on a different doe in the same general area. So I know what's on in there. I know what's happening. I decide, you know what? Screw it. There's nothing wrong with hunting a box blind, using a decoy. Uh, At this point, I would be stoked to get anything killed. Um, I'll go hunting. Why not? Like, I'm, I'm frustrated, haven't seen anything. At least I want to have a fun hunt and see some darn deer. Like, I haven't had a time I've seen more than a couple deer at a time. Um, haven't seen any rutting activity. This might be it. I don't care how we do it. So my idea is this. We left the ultimate hub at midday. I was going to hunt the box blind that evening with the decoy on the cornfield. But I wanted to set up a new location for the morning. Now, there's one area on my buddy's property that I had not been in. I had only walked it one time. When I was there in the summer, I did like a 10-minute walkthrough of it. I was, we were late. I didn't have a lot of time. It was the end of our like, little day and a half time I had there. I was like, I got to walk this really quick. So I just ran through it. Just got a very, very basic idea of what was going on. But now I'm realizing, okay, this is the one part of the property I haven't been to. We did have one camera up there that was getting some bucks on it. And I recalled... I don't know why I hadn't thought about this sooner with all the other things I was thinking about. I guess I just overlooked it. But I do 
remember that there had been some cutting up there. And I remember thinking, man, there's some good brushy stuff up there. There's treetops on the ground and new growth and, and good bedding up there too. So I got to thinking, all right, midday, day six, I'm going to go in there with a set, scout at midday, and hang a set to hunt on the last day. So that's what I go do. I'm going to go scout it out. I get there to the property. I slip in the backside. And where this is, is, now remember, my buddy's property, like the T, right? We've got the top right of the T, and we've got the middle post of the T. And there's timber inside that upside down L, and there's fields. Well, this area that I'm talking about is the top post of the T. So like the east-west ridge, the north side of that ridge. There's a valley in the bottom, timber on the top ridge of it. So we're the very top of the T here, the north ridge. And as I described, there's a bunch of cutting in there. And actually, it looked a lot better than I remembered from the summer. As I'm walking in the edge of the field, I see a scrape, then another scrape, then another scrape, then another scrape. Literally 10, 12 scrapes, all fresh, lining the edge of the standing cornfield and the timber. I slip into the timber. Here's a rub. There's a rub. There's another scrape. There's another scrape. There's a rub. I mean, it's blown up in here. And right away, I realized, whoa, there's some stuff going on in here. And whoa, this cover looks better than I realized compared to everything else. Um, you know, better than anything else I've been in yet this, this week. So I go in there and start walking around and I'm thinking, all right, I definitely want to be here tomorrow morning. And what's the, what's the best way to take advantage of this? So I'm going to try to describe this to you in a way that makes sense. Remember, we've got this east and west running line of timber. And there's the creek bottom. We're on the north edge of it, right? So the cornfield's on the top behind me. This ridge has got basically like a bench running along the top. It's maybe 70 yards from the top where the field is down to the end of the bench. And the bottom of the bench, it cliffs out again. So I described to you how this is a really steep country where there's cliffs that no deer is coming up and down. There's just two spots, and this I had marked from the summer, there are two spots where you could come up or down from this ridge to get to the bottom. So I thought, okay, I want to get set up in a position where I am along the left to right movement, right? Because there's bucks that are going to run the line of the ridge going east to west or west to east. But I also want to be where the convergence of any of the up and down movement comes into that. So I found a spot where the one gap in the cliffs is that allows these deer to come from the bottom to the top or from deer that are up the top to want to go to the bottom, where that intersects with the left to right movement. And I found that there was a ditch, like a steep ditch that ran down the ridge that created like a, a really hard thing for deer to get across if they, if they were running east to west. There was treetops in the bottom. It was pretty steep. And you could see that there was two trails. One was like an old logging road and one was just an easy spot in the ditch where these deer were, were running. So basically, I found a spot where the up and down movement came up the ridge and then where there was these two obvious or at least the most obvious, easiest trails for deer to be traveling left to right across. So basically, I'm, I'm intersecting three lines of movement with all of this treetop cover, all this brushy new growth, it just screaming bedding cover. So reiterating the same damn thing I've said over and over again, pillars of rut success. I've got doe bedding all around me, and then I've got these terrain features that are funneling movement, the ridgetop bench, 
the ditch funnel that's keeping deer moving just two trails across west to east and then the one up and down access coming up the cliff face i hang a saddle set there looks really good feeling good about that for the morning leave there fast and get going to the box blind me and chase get to the box blind get settled in there put the decoy out in front of us behind us is this property that doesn't allow hunting it's thick tall grass it's cedar trees it's it's what you imagine when you imagine hunting iowa nothing else that i have access to looks like this um and so like this is the one spot that we look at like oh gosh like this is the stuff that mark drury hunts um it just looks cool it just gets you excited to look at that and to know that you know four hours ago or two hours ago or whatever it was uh when i was driving around the other road i saw a big giant buck in that stuff with a doe and i knew there was more in there so I set a decoy out in front, and I'll describe the decoy setup. Uh, basically, we set up this decoy. I take one antler off of it. This is a thing that I've, I think it was John Dudley years ago was writing about and that I've just kind of stuck to ever since. You take an antler off so it seems slightly less imposing, like a more approachable, beat-upable buck. Because uh, the idea here is you're putting this decoy out there and hoping that a buck's going to see it and then want to come in and, and tangle with it. So I set that decoy with one antler off, and then I set him quartering towards, kind of quartering off either one of your shoulders from left to right or off your right shoulder or quartering off your left shoulder, looking kind of past you. Because what you want to set up is you want this buck to come in to the decoy and give you a broadside shot. And bucks usually almost always want to approach a decoy head on. Like they're, you know, try to approach it antler to antler. They'll kind of circle around it and head to the downwind side usually. So in a perfect world, you'd like the wind blowing from the decoy to you, so he has to circle in closer to you, but he'll be looking at the decoy and not at you, and then give you that quartering away your broadside shot. So I angled him looking over my right shoulder and into the stuff behind me. Got set up in the box blind, and and yeah, I mean, it was cushy. It was, I was thinking, man, this is really nice after, after spending all day, every day, hanging in a saddle, um, Night number six, sitting in a box blind, was, uh, was just the luxurious break we needed. And at this point, I didn't care. I, I was fine uh, doing that. We'd been working our tails off. I mean, working our tails off. Uh, I was ready to enjoy myself finally. And uh, we actually sat on our knees because we were worried about We, we went through the whole um, practice every scenario kind of thing that I talk about sometimes. Like we did, we did this when I described that uh, sitting on the pond dike in the grass situation. Well, in this situation, it was like, okay, how are we going to get the window open and get in position if a buck comes from this way? How are we going to get into position and film and be in shot position if they come this way? So we worked out each situation. We practiced it. We you know, went through the, all the motions, drawing back the bow, having the cameraman move around where he needs to go, everything. And we realized it was really hard to do it quietly if we were trying to use the chairs in there so we just pushed these chairs to the back corner and we both just stayed on our knees on the floor of the box blind so we could be as silent as possible and move as little as possible if a buck were to come through and you know like an hour and a half before daylight here comes a doe here comes another doe and another doe all these deer start piling out into the field and and all right i'm like wow this is the best of the whole darn week we've had um like we're, we're seeing a bunch of deer, seeing a bunch of does. And as these does start piling out, I start realizing like, hey, you know, this could actually work. You know, having all these does out here all of a sudden gave me a lot of confidence because that's, that's all you need was 
does. We were counting on the fact that if these does would come out to that field, the bucks would have to be checking it because there were definitely bucks in this brushy cover behind me. And if the does would come out to feed in the cornfield, the bucks would come too. And maybe we'd get lucky with the bucks seeing that decoy. So does start piling out, and then a little buck, and then a little buck, and I'm jacked. Like, finally I'm having that exciting Iowa anticipation, like it's going to happen. We're seeing the deer. I know there's a big buck in here. And then I see a doe run over the hill towards us, and the antlers come behind her. And right away, like, big buck. Here comes a big, big shooter deer. I think he was a 10-pointer, runs over the hill. And I'm like, Chase, shooter. Finally, we'd seen a mature buck during daylight. It was our second to last night, and uh, very excited. We start moving. Like, all right, here he is, coming from the right, get into position, move my rep. I'd taken my rangefinder off, put it in the right spot, put my binoculars down, have my grunt tube within range, reposition myself so I could open this window, and now I'm just waiting for it to happen. And he comes over the hill following that doe, and he stops and looks at the decoy. And this is like the moment of truth. Like he's going to see the decoy and be interested in it, or he's not. He looks at the decoy, and the doe starts moving off, and he turns back to the doe and starts following the doe. I'm like, oh, no, he's not going to leave that doe. But you never know. I slowly open the window, and I say, all right, I'm going to try to call him. I'm going to try to give him a grunt, snort wheeze, see if I can piss him off. So I give him a grunt. He doesn't hear it. Give him another grunt. doesn't hear it. Give him a snort wheeze. He stops, his head swings around and just glares at me. He's probably 90 yards away, something like that. Maybe, you know, give or take. Glares at me, ears kind of pinned back. He turns and starts walking right at us. I'm like, it's going to happen. This is happening right now. This son of a buck is going to come into the decoy. We're going to get a crack at him. I mean, I was pumped. Get in position, got the window ready to get turned open. He, run, he walks about 10 yards and then stops, stares, stares, turns around, goes back to the doe. Keeps walking, following the doe, keeps walking, following the doe. And I'm no, I know in the back of my head, like, this isn't going to happen. But I try one more time. Give him one more snort. He stops, stares, turns, takes a couple steps towards me. I'm thinking, all right, yes, 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 yes. And then he turns back to the doe, chases the doe over the hill. And that's all she wrote. That buck walked out of our lives, wouldn't leave his doe. Night closed, and that was it. But it was exciting. It was disappointing it didn't come together, but like, finally we had an encounter. Finally had, I got to see a mature buck. Finally I thought, we're kind of in it. Um, so at this point I said, okay, we're going to be back here tomorrow. Like, there's mature bucks in here. This almost worked out. This buck wasn't willing to do it, but maybe another one would cruise through and you know, be willing to be aggressive and come after it. So that said, the next morning though, I had that set I'd hung at midday. So we're to day seven. This is the last day of the hunt. Uh, I am tired. I am worn out. We've been up at 334 or whatever it is every day, uh, hunted all day, every day, other than we, we moved locations a couple times, but we've not once, like we never went to the house. We never went to lunch. We never, we're going the entire time hanging new sets, moving new spots, uh, sitting the whole darn time. Uh, all my buddies felt bad for my camera guy. They, they thought he was going to either murder me or quit or something because I was putting him through hell. But uh, he was a trooper and, uh, and just went with it. Um, 
So I was trying, you know, I was feeling a little bit of optimism now, though. Like that that midday that midweek stretch from day three through through that night of day six, um, you know, where it was just pretty much dead. You know, nothing but like a couple does and a dinker here and there for three and a half days. When it's supposed to be, you know, the best of the best, that was a tough stretch where I just was bumming out and i think a lot of us can relate to that with the whitetail rut you have so much expectation i think that's why the the slow periods are harder during the rut is because you have such high expectations you know if it's slow on october 15th like, eh, kind of what i was expecting if it's slow on september 24th ah, you know it's just how it is sometimes but when it's november 4th especially if you're in somewhere like iowa or illinois or kansas somewhere you dream of um it's supposed to be amazing. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be the best of the best. And so when it doesn't happen, I think it hurts more. So that's where I was at. And, um, as I mentioned, was, was, was bumming about it. Finally, we saw a buck. Now I'm re-energized and I'm like, you know what? Damn it. Final day magic. We're going to do it. Like I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. This is going to happen. We have worked for it. The universe will reward us. So the final morning, I remember in the car, I put on the final countdown, you know, the classic rock song by Europe. And we were jamming out, you know, and just like jamming, like this is it. Hell yeah, last day. We get to the property, we slip in there way before daylight so we're not spooking anything at gray light. We get set up, we're feeling great, we're feeling confident, and I'm excited. Like, I'm going to pull this thing out in the end. Somehow it's going to happen. This spot looks good, feels good. Um, it follows the rules of the rut that I preach all the time. Um, and it's fresh and the sign was hot and daylight breaks and the woods comes alive. Here's a little buck. There's a little buck and they're all doing just what I was hoping they would do. They're cruising east to west. They're cruising across the top of the T trying to check these bedding areas. And because of that steep ditch along our side, they have to cross these two places that are both within range of me. So these bucks are cruising past, and everything that's coming past is within shooting range. And now it's, I don't know, oh, somewhere around the first hour of daylight. Um, and we are sitting there, quiet, scanning, scanning, and I see tines come out of the brush approaching that ditch to my left. And I remember saying, buck, coming. And I pull out my binos, and as a shooter buck, immediately you could see like this is a big, big shooter buck coming in. So I start swinging into position, swinging to go grab my bow, and he's coming fast. Like he's cruising on a very fast walk, not stopping, not loafing, nothing. And he's heading, if you can envision me hanging on my saddle, let, let's say I'm like, like I'm sitting in my truck right now driving, right? So I'm here holding the steering wheel. And the tree is directly in front of me if we're talking about the, um, the hunting snare. So imagine the tree is directly in front of me. I'm hanging off of the rope back off of that tree. This deer is approaching from kind of where your left rearview mirror would be. So my left front side, he's approaching, and he's going to head across in front of me as if he were you know, going to walk from my left across to directly in front of me. My shot would be just off the just left side of the tree. So I need to lean out around the tree just a little bit and then shoot directly in front of me. As I lean to get into position to shoot, 
I've got several thoughts going through my mind. I had ranged this area earlier, and there was this old logging road that this ditch crossing follows. And I'd ranged it, like the back was somewhere around like 36 yards-ish, and the front of this logging road was around 30 yards. So I knew he was going to be you know, somewhere in that like 30-something yard range. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to range him, but he's coming so fast, but there's no way, I don't have time to range him. The second thing I remember thinking is that this freaking backpack's in my way. The freaking backpack is my cameraman's bag. And this has been a thing like all week is that uh, my cameraman has got a lot of gear with him. He's carrying three different cameras because he's got one camera that's pointed at me to try to get like my reactions and my stuff. And then he has a handheld camera that he's using to film the deer coming in. And then he has a third camera that's for still photography. And he's got a camera arm and all this kind of thing. So he's got a big, huge backpack and then like extra bags that were like attached to that. So in the tree, every time we were hunting, it was a challenge to try to find a way to like position his bags somewhere that they'd be out of my way, but also, you know, hidden. We're always trying to find ways to stay hidden because like with two guys and two sets of gear and, and all this crap, like it was very hard to ever stay hidden. So it was like a point of concern at all times to try to find this middle ground where I'm able to get him hidden in a way um, that also allows us to get shots. And that morning, he sat up, and I remember thinking that this backpack is in the way if a deer comes right here to my front left. So I told him, like, dude, we got to do something about that backpack. So he tried to raise it up a little bit, and then we tucked the straps that were hanging off it. Like, we got to get rid of these straps. So we take the straps. I remember putting the straps into like the water bottle pockets and I practiced like, can I get a shot around here? It's still dark out. This is really early in the morning. Like, can I get a shot around? I'm like, damn it. It's still kind of like in the way, but I had been, I'd been on him so much to like move these things and do this stuff. I felt bad. Like I was, I was worried on being like that annoying nag, like always telling him, move this stuff or this stuff's in the way or so like, I'm not going to ask him to move it again. Like he's, he's got a thousand things to do. It takes a long time for him to get set up with all this different gear and all these cameras and, you know, it was approaching daylight and all that. So I'm like, it, it's good enough. What I'll do is if a buck's coming, I can just lower myself down. You know, if you know on a satellite, you're hanging from a rope. So I can either like kneel down and get lower, or I could even release the, the rope man that's running me on the rope. I can actually lower myself on the rope even more so. So I remember thinking, it'll be good enough. I can just lower myself or kneel down and shoot underneath that backpack probably just fine. I'm not going to bug chase anymore. So that was that morning. Well, now this big buck's coming through. And this big buck is, is run, walking from left to right very quickly, coming down this logging road trail. And he's going to give me one opening. There's one opening in the brush, and it's right where that backpack is. Now let me tell you about this buck. This buck is like a horse body. I mean, he's like a Clydesdale bodied buck. And he is big, heavy, wide, tall, eight pointer. He's like a 150 inch eight pointer. Biggest eight point buck I've ever had within shooting range. Slammer. And I get my bow up into position and I remember thinking I can't get underneath this freaking backpack I need to lower myself but 
that buck's coming so fast. He's almost to my shooting lane, and I realize I can't. I don't have time. I'm, like, reaching for my rope, man. I'm like, I can't do it. So all of this happens in a matter of, like, this is, like, an eight-second time period. Probably, I don't know how long it was. Maybe, maybe 20 seconds from the time we spot the buck to the time he gets into my shooting lane. Like, he came out of nowhere in the thick cover, and then, bam, he's crossing the ditch. He's approaching the shooting lane. All I have time is grab the bow, swing down, and then I have the two thoughts. One thought is, God, I wish I'd get a range on him. Second, not enough time. Second thing is, God, i got to get lower in this backpack. Can't do it. So I am trying to crouch. I'm trying to angle my bow. I'm trying to find some way to get under this thing, but my top limb of my bow is bumping up against the top of this backpack that's still hanging down too low. The buck enters the shooting lane. I have to get a shot. I remember drawing back and knee, I'm like kneeling down and like hanging out and trying to keep my bow underneath the backpack. I remember the moments I can remember. I remember once like hitting it. I remember being canted to the side and then I remember just trying to, uh, heck, I don't know. All I remember is trying to navigate around this thing. And then I remember seeing my 30 yard pin on that buck and being like, this is it. And the shot went off. And the moment the shot went off, I cursed. Like, I knew instantly I missed. I mean, instantly. Um, the poor editors are going to have to edit it out because, like, the shot and then immediately, beep, instantly. And that buck ran off to probably, like, 60 yards and stopped just looking around. And I'm just like, no freaking way. And I grab another arrow and I get the new arrow on there and where he's positioned I don't have a good shot but maybe if I could lower myself on the rope and swing around this stupid backpack all the way to the backside, there might be a clear lane so I'm trying to fumble with my rope and my rope man which is like the which is like the ascend it's like this little mechanism that holds you on the rope at whatever level you want to be at I'm trying to open that up so I can lower myself down the rope and swing around the other side and as I do that, like it makes a clicking noise, it pops. And that buck just bolts, blowing and barrels out of there. And uh, I had just missed one of the biggest bucks of my life. Um, definitely the biggest eight-pointer of my life. Uh, and the you know, first mature buck I had within shooting range. Definitely the biggest buck I saw that week. Um, and that was my opportunity. I had busted my balls all seven days for that i passed on those really nice bucks the first couple days for an opportunity like that and then there he is and i blew it and um you know decided to sit there the rest of the day because after that i saw a number of other young bucks come cruising through and I knew there was other mature deer on camera, so I knew, like, all right, he's out of here. But maybe another one of these big boys will roll through because obviously this spot is the spot they want to come through. So I sat it out the rest of the day. Then around, like, 2 o'clock, that wind um, was getting stronger, and I realized that more of these deer were, were taking the top trail, like that big buck had done. And in the morning... He couldn't win me because my thermals were dropping. But now the air had warmed up and the wind was blowing towards that trail now. And more deer were using that top trail than I was expecting. 
So I got to thinking, man, you know what? We really need to be in a position so that if another deer comes on that top trail, it doesn't wind us. Like, what's the point of sitting here all day and trying to do this if another buck does what that one does and then he wins me before I can get a shot? So at like 2 o'clock or 2.30 or something, I tell Chase, man, I'm sorry. I know you're worn out. I'm worn out. I don't want to do this, but we need to make a little adjustment because I'm not going to have gone through all this and then miss this buck to just have a final opportunity the last night for magic and then we get winded. So with a couple hours left in the day, we pull down our set, move 40 yards to another tree that's better for the wind and gives us another shooting angle, put another set back up, like our seemed like our 70th, 70th setup of the trip, got up in the tree, and I should point out that they started combining this field now. And uh, we're sitting up there and like, oh man, please stop or please work on the opposite side of the field or something, or please get done before daylight, I mean before dark. But as the evening progresses, now we're sitting there, and of course, just like that other night, the last half hour of daylight, he's picking the field right next to us and literally doing the last row right next to the timber that we're close to now during the last 10, 15 minutes of the night. And nothing but a single doe comes through, and there's two, one little buck, and the night ended like that. That was this was last night. That was how our hunt ended. And I did not kill a buck in Iowa. And I blew my opportunity at my opportunity. Blew my blew my shot. Um, and you know, I replayed that moment over and over and over again, thinking about what what happened. You know, what did you do wrong? What could have you done different? Uh, I mean, there was a whole lot of self-loathing. I mean, I was busted up about it, of course. Um, And, you know, I I couldn't get around that bad. I mean, it was a horrible shooting situation. It was just a horrible, I mean, it was awful. And, um, you know, I I guess I blame myself. I I do, I blame myself for that because I should have known to not settle for that backpack being anywhere in the way. Um, because, you know, I, I should have known that I wouldn't be able to easily adjust to get around it in the heat of the moment when there's a buck barreling down on you. Um, I thought it was good enough, but it was not good enough. And, uh, you know, if I had moved that backpack, uh, it might have been a different story. Um, I shot low in a little, it's hard to tell exactly watching the footage, but it looks like the arrow hits beneath him and a little bit back. Um, So what did I do wrong? I had that backpack there that I should have moved even more than I already moved it. That backpack made it really hard for me to shoot around it, and I was just in a very awkward position, bending down low, kind of leaning out. I might have even had to have the bow canted out to the left a little bit. Um, I mean, you don't want to shoot like that. Secondly, that buck might have been a little farther than I thought. Um, you know, I was using my 30-yard pin, but he was probably more like 34 yards when I, you know, watching the footage and trying to range exactly where he was and all that kind of stuff. So not only was I in a horribly awkward position trying to shoot wonky, but also I'm shooting with a 30-yard pin when he's, you know, 34 yards away, let's say. So there's another reason why the shot could have been lower than it should have been. Um... You know, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, 
I guess I don't know what to say. I've thought through this thing so many times. I beat myself over it so many times. Definitely like a confidence. I don't want to say I'm having a crisis of confidence, but this definitely like shook me, you know, um, even though there's all these extenuating circumstances that made this awful. Um, it's also got me think, man, you missed a big buck last year. Now this happens again. You know, you don't want to get into a thing like that where that starts happening. And all that's to say, um, man, just not a good feeling. Really, really disheartening feeling. Very discouraging. Um, as you all know, I mean, those, those, those moments are the lowest of lows when it comes to hunting. And I'm still working through it. Um, this, is, this is raw. This just happened yesterday morning, and now it's the, the, the following day in the morning when I'm recording this. And uh, it's a bitter pill to swallow. It is a really, really bitter pill to swallow. Um, and I know that's something that a lot of you can relate to. Um, this is not something unique to me. Uh, a lot of us have worked really hard and not gotten paid off for it. A lot of us have practiced a ton and tried our very best and still missed or still didn't get to see one or still has something go wrong. So there's no use in me sitting here um, playing my fiddle and feeling sorry for myself because I know that plenty of other people have dealt with it and plenty of other people had to deal with worse. Um, so I'm trying to do what I've said here on the podcast in the past, which is number one, I'm trying to remember that there's a lot bigger things in life than this and still got it great. I don't need to... Um, I don't even feel that bad because I've got a great family. I've got the best kids in the world. I've got a home. I've got a way to pay the bills. I've got great family and friends. I'm healthy. Um, so I'm trying to put things in context and, and remember this isn't life or death. Um, and I'm also, you know, trying to do the other thing, which I preach a lot, which is trying to remember the process, right? Um, I didn't get the results I wanted. But the one thing I can hang my head on and the one thing I can say probably, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm go back, it's like, I'm embarrassed. Like, I'll tell you, like, just honestly, just being brutally honest with you, this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing that I missed a buck. It's embarrassing that I didn't kill a deer. It's embarrassing I spent seven days in the best place in the world and couldn't get it done. It's embarrassing that, you know, me, Clay, Tony, and Spencer were all on this hunt for this show and... Tony killed, Spencer killed, Clay killed. Who's the one guy that didn't kill? The son of a gun that hosts the Wired Hunt podcast, this, this great big whitetail podcast. I'm supposed to be the guy that's supposed to get this done, and then I don't. Um, so all of those things have been in my brain. And, uh, man, it sucks. But the one thing when I climbed out of the tree last night, I just said, I freaking gave it my all. I mean, I just did everything I could. I did not take a break. I did not take an easy route. Every time I thought, man, I got to make an adjustment. Every time I thought I got to take a long way. Every time I thought I got to go harder, longer, whatever. I did it. I gave it every damn little bit of myself. And I am whooped. And um, tired. And, uh, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. So I am going to try to sleep easy tonight 
in some kind of way knowing that I left it on the court, left it all on the field, and that that is just how it goes sometimes. That's, uh, right, that's life, right? You're going to work really hard for things, and, you, and you're not going to get what you want sometimes. You're going to have tough times. You're going to have good times, and you're going to have tough times, and you got to learn how to weather both, and you got to learn how to stay even-keeled, and you got to learn to stay positive through it and make the most of situations, and you got to know how to take your lumps. And so I'll get through this one. I've gotten through all the others. I'll get through this one. I'll learn from it. I'll grow. And, um, you know, if any of you have followed Wired to Hunt for any period of time, you know that I have been through these things before, and uh, this is just this is this is what wired hunt is, I guess, right? This is a process. This is a learning process. You've gotten to ride along with me since 2009 when I first decided to try to start killing mature bucks. Yeah, when, when more like, yeah, yeah, I guess 2009 um, when I said, all right, I'm gonna try to kill a mature buck. And you've got to follow along with me as I have tried to learn how to do that and started being able to do that and started to do that consistently. But you've also seen me fail a whole lot along the way. You've seen me struggle, and you've seen me learn from it. You've seen me get better. You've seen me revert back and do bad again. You've seen me get better again. And damn it, it's what we're going to keep on doing. I'm going to bounce back from this one. I'm going to learn from it. This whole little breakdown I just did with you guys, I don't know if this is interesting in any kind of way. I don't know if you just listen to me prattle on for an hour and 40 minutes with with nothing to it i'm not sure i hope that there's something valuable here but i i hope that by trying to break things down like this um for myself it, it can serve as an illustration of how you might be able to do the same both you know how to work through a week of tough hunting and make adjustments and you know i feel like one of the things that i i think i did an okay job of i think i did a good job of was trying to balance this um, tension between searching out new spots and hot sign versus finding a good spot and giving it time. I, you know, there's a couple spots that I really found um, that deserve time, and I gave them a good bit. Didn't pan out, but um, I tried to kind of let a couple spots soak the way they should. And at the same time, I also said, "All right, there's times when you got to bail out and you got to seek out new spots." So I, I bailed out and scouted new areas and I hunted new spots and. You know, a couple of those plays led to opportunities or close to opportunities or sightings. And um, I think those were, those were good moves. So, you know, I can look back at my process and I can look back at those decisions and, 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 and see some good things. I can see some good things. I can see some things I wish I would have done differently. I wish I had scouted out that North Ridge sooner. I wish that I'd gotten there sooner because if I had more time, I wonder if I would have had another opportunity because um, it definitely was the best-looking sign by far um, that I found. And um, I didn't get there till the last day, or second to last day is when I scouted it and didn't hunt it till the last day. Um, so there's those, those types of things too. And, of course, then the shot. I mean, I can look at that and tell you, I mean, I already did, the things I wish I had done differently. Um, so that's where I'm at, guys. It was a heck of a week. I'm not happy with how it turned out. I wish I had a successful story to share with you right now. I wish I had a 150-inch eight-pointer, five-year-old buck in the back of my truck right now. But I don't, and that's life. Sometimes you drive home with an empty truck bed, and what makes a man, I think, is what you do the next morning when you wake up. Are you going to hang your head, and are you going to bitch about it, and are you going to let that 
define you or are you going to hit the road and keep on trying? And I guess literally and figuratively, I am hitting the road and going to keep on trying as I'm actually in my truck driving to Nebraska. And I will be starting to hunt again tonight, filming another show, and uh, hopefully going to put something together. It's going to be a very different hunt. We'll talk about this at a later date. But um, I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep grinding. And I hope that if you guys are out there, if any of you are out there and you've had something like this, if you had a tough hunt, if you had a tough week, if you had a tough moment, if you missed a buck or wounded a buck, or if you can't seem to get on a deer or whatever it is, um, I hope that you will keep on grinding too. Uh, I hope you will do what it takes to keep the fun in it. Don't let this stuff get miserable. Don't put so much pressure on yourself that you aren't enjoying it anymore. But also remember that you know, hard work, hard work's good for you. And, um, it, it does, it does pay off in the end in one way or another. So keep after it, keep the faith. I'm pulling for all of you. I'm, I'm stoked that so many of you have had success. I love all the messages and pictures and notes I get sent when you guys do fill a tag. And, uh, and I'm just wishing the best for all the rest of you too. So that is it for today. I appreciate you listening to me kind of do my post-hunt therapy session here. Um, I don't know if this is, I don't don't know anything, right? What do I know? (laughs) But uh, I I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that uh, the next time we chat, I've got a better story for you. And until then, thank you for listening and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.